It's long been said that the devil is in the details, but it seems to me that today the devil removes the details. I want to talk a little bit about the recent conversation between Lex Fridman and Kanye West. I don't know if you've seen it, but if you haven't, it's very interesting. First, I want to talk about the positives. Kanye West is one of the most fascinating artists of our time. I do not think that he is mentally ill, but I do think that he is mentally different. Most interesting people are just people who say interesting things. But Kanye West is different. His actual way of thinking, his structure of connecting thoughts is interesting. In that way, I think those things are innately tied to his success. So another positive about Kanye West is that he is probably the most right-brained person I have ever seen. This comes from the Ian McGilchrist idea of left brain, right brain, that the um, that the left brain is analytical and logical, and that the right brain is intuition driven and emotional. This is why, for example, his ability to make beats might be better than his ability to write insightful lyrics. Right. So you might find some other rapper who their, you know, their lyrics are very heady or whatever. But it ends up just being, you know, you know, narcissistic, uh, you know, self-aggrandizing, navel gazing. You know, it's just it's ends up being just completely unenjoyable trash. Even though it's intellectual, it is not enjoyable because it's narcissistic in the end. Kanye West might be on the other end where he writes amazing beats for a long, long time. He's written uh, the music part for a lot of uh, you know famous artists. And his lyrics uh, are relatable, let's say, but they're not, you know, you could say they're like lowbrow or something like that. And this is the kind of criticism that is always thrown at a person like him, a person who um, is very right-brained. They aren't, they aren't like super, you know, logical or nerdy or analytical or any of that. They don't care about that. That isn't, they aren't trying to win that game. They won't win that game. You could see this in the uh, presidential primary where, you know, all these really, really smart people, you know, could easily make fun of Trump, but he would still win. Kanye West is a similar character in that way. I think that's a lot of why he, uh, you know, why he kind of likes Trump. I also think his, you know, desire to kind of go to the edges on both ends of the political spectrum um, is kind of just another revealing aspect of his temperament, right? So he he will, you know, do stuff with Candace Owens, and then he'll say all this really, really woke stuff. And his desire to kind of play both sides is, you know, just kind of part of this um, artist uh, inclination to... Um, to provoke and I think he will always probably be interesting for that reason but will never uh, be consistent enough to base your life on his ideas you know he's never going to be one of these people that really lays out a really cohesive picture uh, in my opinion of, of a worldview that you could live inside instead I think he'll always play the ends against each other and provoke and you know kind of stir things and stir conversation and will be interesting for that reason. So that's all the good stuff. I don't think he's, uh, you know, mentally ill. I think people who are not a 10% of his 
creativity, um, see his, you know, just towering uh, intuition-led uh, life. They see his sort of towering ability to be creative, to be right-brained, to be intuition-led. And you'll hear in the Lex interview that when Lex said, what advice would you give to people? He says, you know, go with your gut, which in general, I don't think is the best advice. I actually think, listen to your gut. What does your gut want? Now listen to the wise people in your life and see where they might overlap. I think that's much better than just going with your gut. But it reveals a lot about him that he thinks that way. It has worked for him, so why would he not say that? And like I said, I do not think he's mentally ill. I do think he is mentally different. He structurally uh, thinks in a way that is very atypical, and I think that is directly tied to his success. He thinks in a more like jazz-like uh, format, so people um, that want verse-chorus, verse-chorus are naturally going to call him mentally ill. Now let's get to the criticism. One thing that you'll notice that no one is brave enough to call out is that he is absolutely obsessed with race. He cannot go five minutes without either mentioning that he is black or that someone else is not black, that someone else is Jewish. The recent anti-Semitic comments by Kanye West and Nick Cannon and others is not only not surprising, it is inevitable. If you encourage people because they have a certain skin color that it is not only palatable, it is not only okay to obsess over your race, to make your race your fundamental identity, but it is not only okay to do that, but it is somehow good and virtuous to do that. This is this very progressive idea that Martin Luther King's idea of colorblindness is not only somehow outdated, but it is now somehow evil. That this is what happens when you take them at their word. If you go with this progressive idea that Martin Luther King was wrong and that colorblindness is somehow not only outdated but bad, then you will naturally see the rise once again of groups fighting with other groups. If I lose my core identity as being that I am a Christian or that I am an American or on a much lesser scale that I am from a small town, that I am uh, part of a blue-collar line of work, all these things add up. But white does not factor in. If I were to get rid of all that nuance and all the meaning of being fundamentally Christian or fundamentally American, if I were to replace all of that and instead see myself as fundamentally white, it would only be a matter of time before I thought in terms of white excellence or white achievement or white this or white that. If I began to see myself as fundamentally white, then it would not be shocking if a few months down the road I began to see people that were my enemies, people who were doing awful things to me or stealing my money or whatever, not as individuals who are taking a kind of moral opportunism that is giving in to their personal temptation for evil, but instead as Jews or Mexicans or blacks. If you encourage me, if the whole world encouraged me 
to think of myself as fundamentally white, then why would you then be outraged when I saw my enemies as fundamentally Jews or blacks or Mexicans? You cannot encourage it on one hand and then be outraged by it on the other hand. This is all a result of the progressive idea that somehow we have outgrown original sin. Within Christianity, there is an idea of original sin. One of the verses in Scripture says, There is none righteous, no, not one. Original sin is the idea that every single human, regardless of what nation their people came from, regardless of their background, rich, poor, left, right, black, white, doesn't matter, every single human has not only a capacity but a temptation towards great evil. You have it, and I have it. I am not for a second saying that African American people were not treated in an evil way by people who are white, or that the CIA, something that's, that Kanye West brought up, didn't do evil things. I'm sure they did. Or that you can bring up a million examples of someone with this color doing something evil to someone of that color, and we could be there all day. But everyone can play that game and go, well, you did me wrong like this, and you did me wrong like this, and where's my apology, and when are you going to owe me? But that is moral opportunism. One way to think about this entire conversation is simply this. Evil is moral opportunism. It doesn't matter what political party you're a part of. It doesn't matter what race you are. It does not matter. All evil is moral opportunism. You see an opportunity to give in to your own desire for wickedness, to take a shortcut, to be dishonest. And evil will be the result. There's another part in the conversation where he talks about how his father, somehow I think like the CIA, you know, crushed his father's ambitions or something like that. And again, I'm not for a second going to act like the CIA never does anything evil or never did anything evil to his dad. I don't know. But here's what no one will say. You, no matter what your background, are responsible, at least in part, for what your life becomes and the moral decisions that you make. And I do not care your political background, your racial background, or anything else if you do not fully excavate your own culpability in what your situation has become. Then I will not listen for a second at your criticism of the world or the system or the blacks or the Jews or the Democrats or the Republicans. I will not listen to any of it if you are acting morally as a child. If you do not first demonstrate every single way that your choice, that your moral opportunism, that your moral desire and temptation towards personal evil, if you do not bring that into the light first, then I do not want to hear your criticism of the world. It is not that the world is pure. It is not that white people have not done awful and evil things to black people or anything else. It is that every single human is born with not only the capacity, myself included, not only the capacity, 
but the temptation towards grave evil. As a result, I naturally will see those who harm me, not as Jews or as blacks or as Mexicans, but instead as people who gave in to their personal temptation to evil. And have I not done that myself? Do I not struggle not to do that every single day? Of course, I do. Adrian Rogers once said, Righteousness is responsibility assumed. And we are seeing what happens when you throw out Martin Luther King's idea of colorblindness, of truly judging people as individual moral actors. And instead, if we encourage certain people, not as being just like everyone else in that they are innately born with a capacity and temptation towards evil, just as I am as I speak to you now. But instead, if we believe this very convenient idea that some people are born as pure and helpless victims no matter what, and that other people are evil and depraved oppressors no matter what they do. If we take on that idea, then why would we then be surprised when groups who view themselves as fundamentally their race begin to see their enemies not as individual moral actors struggling with their innate desire to give in to moral opportunism, that is to give in to their personal temptation to evil, but instead to see that person as simply a Jew or a black or a white or a Mexican. You cannot encourage it when a person does it towards themselves and then be outraged when they do it towards their enemies. Instead, both are wrong. Martin Luther King was correct then and he is correct now. And we have not outgrown his ideas, and his ideas have not become outdated. Instead, we have lost the maturity and integrity to be able to stomach their implications. If everyone is equal, then everyone is responsible, and no one can fully play the victim. And you may not want to hear that, and neither do I. And I have gone through some very heavy personal things recently, and I would love to paint you a picture in which I did nothing wrong and everyone else did everything wrong. But you know as well as I do that that is not true. Each of us is partially responsible for the way that our life goes, whether we like it or not. And that is the only way that we can have peace with each other. If we are utopian towards ourselves, we will be dystopian towards others. If I am utopian when I think of myself, when I think of myself as a moral actor, if I do not see where I have a grave capacity for deep, deep evil, then guess what? It will only be a matter of days before all of you are to blame. If you are utopian towards yourself, you will be dystopian towards others.